Well, praise the Lord. That is great. Thank you, Mrs. Lloyd, for a great number there. Our text is Psalms 37. Psalm 37. We'll be looking there at the first verse and maybe the next few verses after that. But uh, go to Psalms chapter 37. And what a great week we had with uh, Brother uh, Hamblin here. He was real thankful for the hair gel. I've titled this message, and by the way, our Faith Promise uh, Missions Conference coming up, okay? It's, I believe that's March 2nd through the 6th. And, and so be here, be a part of Bob, Bob Larson. I love that guy. I tell you what, get to meet him a couple times a year each year through our uh, board meeting at BIMI. But I tell you what, he is the real deal. He really is. And heading up, reseeding America. And I've already looked at a few places where they're going. They're going into the most liberal, God-hating spots of the country and to plant churches. Praise the Lord for that. And I tell you, that's, uh, that's what you do. Going to change America? Get them saved. Get them saved. That's the important thing. You know, we have some great things from America. Every, maybe some of you get this. Now, I, I don't do it anymore, but I used to look for it from time to time. These factoids that would come up. You know, you'd have the first of the month, what happened in this month, you know, and things like that. And uh, I was looking at something just the other day, and uh, I realized, okay, in March, this is going to hit. March 7th, 1876, you know what happened? Alexander Graham Bell made the first telephone call. And, and what's so funny is, is that I can remember growing up public school, and one of the uh, questions that you had was, what did Alexander Graham Bell say? And he said, what hath God wrought? And that was, I mean, that was recorded, and, and that was one of the questions asked, and that was in public school. And so you knew every year, uh, March 7th, 1876, that one happened. Now, what I have found interesting, I didn't find this out until just very, very recently, was the call back. The call back. And you may have a hard time believing this, but they said to him, your car warranty has just expired. <laughs> My mind gets messed up sometimes, okay. <laughs> But I liked it when I was thinking about it, so I said, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> All right. I'd like to be able to tie that in with a message, but I can't. <laughs> All right. Okay, Psalms 37, verses 1 through 4. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, let me just say this, delight thyself in the Lord. That means you're in his word, you're thinking on it, you're seeing 
asking the Lord to teach it to you, how it applies, and seeking to get to know the Lord. That's what you're doing when you're in the Word. Uh, the Bible is God-breathed. It reveals to us the mind of God. And any time you're reading the Bible, the Word of God, you are looking at the mind of God. That's how you get to know Him. He shares His mind, His heart with you, and in prayer you share your heart with Him. But you get to know God, and that way the desires of your heart as you get to know Him and know what will please Him. Uh, Valentine's Day is coming up here in about another week or so, I think. And... Um, you better find out, huh? Uh, but when Valentine's Day, some of you younger guys, you know just what she likes, what she doesn't like. Now, it changes over the years. But in, in the, those earlier years, you know what they like, don't like, don't get that, do get this, don't forget to buy the card, you know, and things of that nature. But um, that comes up. But as you get to know her, you know what's best. As you get to know the Lord... The desires of your heart are to please Him. And He will give you those desires of your heart. So let's pray. Father, we thank You for the opportunity that we have to go into Your Word today. Lord, here's a psalm that You have gave well over a thousand years ago. And still very relevant to today. What a shame that so many try to make the church and Christianity relevant to the world and so that church being relevant to Christ and show the world that there is a difference and there is a cleansing and there is a salvation. So Lord I pray, I just pray that you would work in this message, speak to the hearts throughout this auditorium as well as those watching by live stream and those by the radio in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Some of you, perhaps this week, made revival decisions. And that's not a bad thing. You heard the word of God preached, God spoke to your heart, and you acted upon that at the invitation time. Maybe you've done that in another meeting at some time. Maybe in a recent church service at one time or another. Or maybe at home. You were having your own personal devotions, and boy, God showed you something in His word and you said, you know what? That needs added to my life. That needs taken away from my life. And as God showed you those things, you made that decision. That's added to my life. That's going, that's going to be a part of me now. Uh, hey, I've got to get rid of that. Lord, help me get rid of that. But whatever it is, you made that decision at that time. And that is a very important decision to make. You made a revival decision and even at home, it's a revival decision. In a regular church service, it's a revival decision because it is something that you promised to God. So, yet here it is. Maybe something made years ago. Maybe something made just this week. Yet, you've already abandoned those things. Some kept some things for a while, but they no longer keep those things. Which you'd promised God. And yet, now, starting to waver. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture to you. And as I read this passage, passage of Scripture to you, I, I want you to listen as I read because 
I'm not going to really break it down a whole lot. I think it's very self-explanatory. I really do. So listen as I read to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. When thou bowest a bow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Is that interesting? Pay that which thou hast vowed. Now, what I find interesting, the first word in that verse was, when thou vowest a vow. I like the word when there because it means it assumes that you're going to make promises to God. God's made his promises to us and he'll keep it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he kept it. And he still keeps it. Look unto me and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Boy, I find that more and more true each day. And so there are things that he expects from us. So he goes on to say in verse 5 of that verse, of that passage, Better it is that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Now notice, it's not saying that you shouldn't vow. Somehow more, more of the Calvinist group have got a hold of this said, Vows are not for this day. It's not for this uh, day any longer. That was an Old Testament thing. And, of course, you've heard me say this before. Oh, that's interesting. So you didn't make a vow in marriage, did you? Well, that's different. Yeah, your, your spouse is more important than God at any time. Huh? Oh, wait a minute, preacher. Now, don't be facetious. That sounds like a smart word. Don't know what it means. But, um, so don't be facetious. No, you made a promise. That's what a vow is. It's a promise. You do make vows today whether you realize you make a promise. You buy a home. You sign a thing that uh, you know you're buying it on time. You just made a vow. You made a promise about the payments. You make vows today. I abhor those people that try to change what the Word of God means or says. Don't mess with the mind of God. You're no, no match for them. I like that uh, Brother Woodard tonight is preaching on the error-saturated version of the Bible, ESV, okay? And uh, he just shows us fact, and that's all you need to see is the facts. And he'll show that to you tonight. And, but nonetheless, don't miss out on it. But better thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Vow and not pay. Make a promise to God. That's why in Timothy we read, Give attendance unto reading and to exhortation. Speaking of preaching, prophesying. Why does he say that? Given? Because God speaks to you through his word. You make decisions based on the word of God, the mind of God. God has a specific will for you, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. I think even before the foundation of the world, He knew when you'd be born. Everything about your life, He knows about it. Yet He gave you a free will. But He's before ordained, it's good works, <laughs> that you should walk in them. 
It's there. What you have to do is seek the mind and will of God to know what He'll have you to do, even as a Christian to know that, because one day you will stand before God and find out you had this call on your life, but you didn't really pursue to know it. You wanted the voice to boom out of the heavens and say, okay, I want you to this. But you see, the voices, sometimes you hear the voices, but isn't it better to get to know him in your heart? I use the illustration of, I know she'll like that. I know she won't like that. You ladies, he, he wants it. No, he doesn't want that. You know that by knowing the person. Get to know the all-holy God, and you'll know some things that should be and should not be in your life, let alone in your church. And so that is so important. He goes on in verse 6 to say, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Uh, you make a promise, you don't keep it to God, that's a sin. He that knoweth to do uh, good and doeth it not, James tells us, chapter 2. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. So, he says, neither say before the angel. It was an error. Say before them that angel. That is an, that is an error. The, the, the Spirit of God begins to move in your heart. Well, you know. Uh, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of kids come. Oh, that's this thing. It's, it was a psychological thing. And you're calling it an error when God was speaking to your heart and you responded, but then came reality. Now you're saying it's an error before God. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities. You know, Matthew chapter 10, verses 27, 28. You've heard me use verse 28 quite a bit, but I want to put in verse 27. Because he said here, those last words here of that verse, but fear thou God. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, he says, What I uh, tell you in darkness, at time you got alone, in the prayer closet, somewhere else, maybe that walk where you go out and you go on that walk and you're just alone with God. What I tell you in the darkness, that speak ye in the light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye on the housetops. And by the way, preach there is not saying become a pastor. It's not saying become an evangelist. It's saying herald it. When God gives you something from His Word, herald it. In other words, speak it to others. Speak it. Share it with others. That's called edification among Christians. And you get that by communing with God. And so, the next verse, because people, watch that guy. He's, 
he's uh, one of these Christians. Beware of him. Beware of her. Matthew 10, 28 goes on to say, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. There's only one that can do that. That's God. That's God. So, you've made decisions in the past. And you're not at this, that area anymore. You, you, you've kind of abandoned those decisions. And sometimes you blame people uh, for those things. Uh, maybe just life itself. And so because of life itself, because of circumstances, you say, I can't do that. Now, for me to stand up here and say you're a fool, I'm not supposed to call you a fool. But I tell you what, if God calls you a fool, you're a fool. He said there that you're a fool there in Ecclesiastes to make a vow and not keep it. A vow to God and not keep it. That makes you a fool. Now, we've got to kind of, you know, I hate to say it this way, but you've got to grow up. And learn to take responsibility, personal responsibility, in the decisions you make with God. And don't blame others for your failures. Now, I want you to look at some uh, thoughts here of, of the spiritual warfare that we're in uh, that's going to come to you. You've made a decision for the Lord. You're going to be in a spiritual warfare. And, by the way, as long as I walk in this flesh, I'm a saved person, I'm going to be in a spiritual warfare. It comes. It comes. So I want to look at uh, some thoughts on the spiritual warfare that's coming. You know, last, last Sunday night, I had uh, four of our administrative staff in the school to give a testimony. And as a matter of fact, I even had to do it the next morning in the chapel because a lot of those kids aren't here on Sunday. And so we had Mrs. Lloyd, Joe Carpenter, then we had Stephanie Cumby, and we had Randy Osborne. Now we had those four to stand up and give testimonies. In the case of Mrs. Lloyd, uh, she had uh, raised in a non-Christian home. She had some things. She didn't give you the half of the bad things that happened in her life. She would have every reason. Everybody said, well, we can understand that. That girl went wrong. Boy, she went down the wrong road. Well, it goes back there to her home. Well, they could say that. I mean, she could have said that in a heartbeat. And most of us would have agreed. But let me tell you something. She decided that her help was in the Lord and she'd be personally responsible. Joe Carpenter spoke of some of the things of the, that brought bitterness into his life. And we would understand that. But he decided that he's not going to blame those terrible, bad circumstances. And do what God tells him to do. And you got Mrs. Cumby, and, and Mrs. Cumby grew up in a Christian home. 
a good godly home. And yet, she's experienced what many Christians have experienced, especially if you're in full-time Christian ministry, you experience this. Growing up, seeing people, you're doing the best you can, you're, you're, you're teaching the Word, you're witnessing, and people find fault with everything you do. Then you see other Christians that do some evil things, and yet it seems like nobody wants to recognize that and say, well, that's not bad. And yet, she had to be responsible to say, I'm going to make these decisions, not based on what I see other people's failures. Look, her along with Mr. Osborne, both of them saw some terrible failures of people that had a good name, had a good testimony, ending up in immorality and so many other things, leaving the fundamental movement because they wanted to be a part of what's happening now. They wanted to be relevant to the world. And they've seen those kind that left. They've seen the others that went into immorality or some other sin and they were supposed to be good godly people and at one time they had a good godly testimony. You can't let that take you away from the Lord. You have a personal responsibility just like they'll have a personal responsibility when they give an account unto the Lord. Stay true to the call of God in your life as a Christian. Stay true to the promises that you've made God. Keep on keeping on for Jesus Christ. Yes, those people could have gone back on those things. But don't allow the failures of others to be an excuse for breaking your promises to the one who actually died a physical, terrible death on the cross, not just his body being beaten, not just his body suffering all of that that it suffered, but the fact that the precious, sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, his own Father, because he was our substitute, for the sins that you and I have committed, would pour out his eternal wrath on his human spirit of Jesus Christ. That was the payment of our sin. For the wages of sin is death. Final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. You never cease to exist. There is no escape. And my friend, We come to Jesus, it's totally by mercy and grace that we're saved. His God's mercy, God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. You're putting your trust in Him. You're putting your trust in His Word. He said He would do it. You put your trust in His Word and He keeps His Word. So why don't, keep, why don't we keep our Word that we made to Him in those vows that we made at our bedside, at an altar, at, at a revival meeting somewhere, in a church service somewhere? We've got to keep our word. But you know the good thing? A righteous man falling seven times gets up again. He doesn't get the what's the use attitude. He says, man, I blew it. That was dumb. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up. 
I'm going to serve God. And God may not even be able to use me into the original call, but he, he wants to use me to do something for Him, and He will. It's all for Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Oh, yes, He can do that for you. You made a decision, and there will be a challenge. And understand, that challenge will come from the devil. It will come from the devil. And as the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Yet sinners, just like we are. <laughs> I don't have to get good enough for the Lord to save me, because I can't get that good enough. I have to let him come to my life as my Lord, as my God, as my Savior, and allow him by his shed blood to cleanse me of my sin. Now, I know it's going to sound a little redundant to you, but nonetheless, I think it works. When you get married, you repent. No, no, I'm not talking about afterwards, I'm talking before. All those people you dated before, you're turning from them and you're turning to one. I'm turning from this world, I'm turning from myself, I'm turning to Jesus Christ. He can save me and not only save me but give me life and give it more abundantly. Eternal life, he'll do that. You just got to come to him. He'll forgive you. Boy, every time I read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, that doesn't get old to me. When you see that there were homosexuals, there were abusers of themselves, mankind, there are those that uh, did all the worst things, drunkards, all that that you can think of, everything was evil. There was no doubt about it. And yet, when they gave their heart and life to Christ to cleanse them, the Bible says, and such were. They're not that adulterous. They're not that slut. They're not that homosexual. They're not that anymore because they made it right with God. They made it right with man. They made it right with all that they need to make right with, and they did it, and they gave it all to Jesus Christ. He cleansed them. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not earn. It's the gift of God. And so, yes, there will be a challenge. And what you must realize, that it will come, and it's because you have an adversary. You have an adversary. And that adversary is seen in 1 Peter. And I read there, 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore. You know, therefore, wherefore, I've told you that before, wherefore, stop what you're doing, take care of it right now, therefore, you do this as you're on your way to the goal. As we're headed to the heaven, as we're headed to eternity, as we're headed in this life, you do this and you keep doing it. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 
See, there are too many preachers, too many people looking for God to exalt them now in the eyes of their friends. That's pride. You want the exaltation that's in heaven when he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. He says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You know, that must have been very important to Jesus Christ. For he said to probably some people that loved God, knew God, but boy, they were going through it. And they were ready to give up. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But it doesn't tell you to stop working. He says, take my yoke. <laughs> A yoke talks about work. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. That's where the Word of God comes in. It's a daily part of your life. Schedule it. My goodness. You work for a company, I'll guarantee you, most of you already have it scheduled when you know, okay, I'm supposed to go to work at 11.45. You're supposed to go to, I mean, lunch at 11.45. You look at that clock, and it says 11.44. You're out the door, okay? Now, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Why? He walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. He is my strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Oh, but get inside the yoke he has for you. It's important. Evidently, that he brought that out. Psalm 62, 8, though, in the Old Testament. For God is a refuge for us. But we're told there, in that verse, pour your heart out to him, for God is a refuge for us. If you can't pour out your heart to God, there's no one left that you can pour it out to that can give you the right help. I mean, they may turn you to scriptures, be good godly people, but your help must come from the Lord. Look, we don't search psychology books for help. We search the one who is the, called the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. That's where it comes from. Get to know Him. That is why the Bible should be a daily part of your life, and you should have it scheduled to read. Read it first thing so it's in your mind first thing. And you can think on it as you go throughout the day. But I'm going to close here in just a moment with this next part of verse 8 of 1 Peter 5. Be sober. That is, be serious about your Christian life. Be sober. Be vigilant. That word vigilant is to be very watchful. Observant. Watching out. 
for that which can destroy. Watching out for where there is danger. Attentive to what's going on to protect your testimony for Christ for safety. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You, if you're saved, you have an adversary and the question is is he winning is he winning does it get you to go back on your word boy I tell you what devil can throw so many things out there in front of you sometimes he can throw money out there in front of you that makes you leave the church makes you leave the word makes you leave the service makes you leave so many other things sometimes he puts out acceptance with People you want to be accepted with, it'll carry you away. But realize, one day, when it's too late, you'll realize that was the most ignorant thing I ever did, is to go away from the call of God. Oh yes, as a roaring lion, he seeks whom he may devour. And Satan will do his best to use people, Christian people, to try to get you discouraged and make you want to quit. He'll sometimes use those kind of people. And so, I want to close with this illustration. Jesus was meeting with his disciples. And he makes this statement. He says, who do men say that I am? And they began to say, well, some say that you're Elias, and some say you're this and that, and some say you're even John the Baptist raised from the dead. Okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter stood right up and answered, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, when he said the Son, there's a Greek word there that is huios, that means the very seed. If other Jews had been there, especially if they'd been priests or anything else, that was worthy in their sight of the death penalty and they would have put Peter to death. And Jesus answered Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, Flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And he goes on to promise him that on this rock I will build my church. You know, a lot of people mistake and say, oh, he's going to build the church on Peter. No. The rock that Jesus is the Son of God, that's the rock. He's the rock of ages. That's the rock that it's being built on. And so, that's great. But just to show you how quick the devil works, just a little bit late. I mean, same people, still same place, still gathered together, and Jesus now has changed the subject. He says, we're getting ready to go to Jerusalem. They're going to take the Son of Man, and they're going to crucify Him. 
And three days later, he'll raise from the dead. Peter, oh boy, bless art thou, Peter. Peter stands up. Not so, Lord, don't even talk like that. That's not going to happen. Ah, you know. And Jesus looks at him and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah, boy, that's a change, isn't it? But you see, Jesus was God coming to flesh. He knew that Satan, the adversary, had got a hold of Peter's mind and knew how to do it. He says, Thou savest not the things that be of God, but of man. I mean, boy, in front of all those guys standing there, all those apostles around there, I'm not going to let this happen. That's my Lord. That's my, I will not let this happen. But if he doesn't go to the cross and die for our sins, it'll all be vain to say, I took a stand. And the will was, and he told them, was that he would die for the sin of all, and that three days later he'd raise from the dead. And Peter was going to try to stop it, thinking that he was doing a good work. See, you may think that you're trying to do a good thing. You may have all good intention. But good intention does not replace the Word of God. You see, you've got to walk with God. That's why you can say, I joined the church. I was baptized. Oh, I said this prayer. But you really never gave your heart and life to Christ. You're not saved. See, saying Jesus come to my heart is not hocus pocus. It's not, oh, I said the right words, you know. Hocus pocus. I said Jesus come to my heart. That's the way they're saying those words. No. It's more like the marriage vow where you're saying, for better, worse, richer, poor, sickness, and health, to love, to honor, and to cherish. Till death do us part. You know, why do they leave off later? Hey, I, I stuck, I stuck. What about loving? What about honoring? How about cherishing till death do you part? Coming to Jesus Christ, the great thing about that vow, Jesus never dies, and you will never die. You will have eternal life. Oh, you say, you mean my body won't? Oh, yeah, your body will die, and your spirit will separate from your body, and it will go to be with the Lord and await the day of the rapture when he reunites you with a body that's fashioned like into his glorious body. But first, you must receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you've not done that, I want to implore you to do that today. Let's bow our heads.